Good evening. Good to see you here tonight. Good to be back for another period of worship. I uh, just want to reiterate how um, proud we are of our youth group uh, going to camp this week. I can remember how <clears throat> in, uh, in my growing up years uh, how going to camp uh, molded me and shaped me and, uh, and, and influenced me tremendously. So just be thinking about them this week. Be praying for them uh, that God may uh, be more relevant in their lives and, uh, and that they may be more dedicated to Him uh, in their time spent at camp. Uh, we're continuing our Gospel of Mark, Gospel According to Mark series tonight. Uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, the first 12 verses. So if you want to take out your Bible there with me and turn to that passage in Mark chapter 4. Remember how we saw last time, last week in, uh, in, in our sermon, that Mark is developing in our minds the power, the authority, and the compassion of this man, Jesus. We saw last time that he does things only God can do. He can forgive sins, which is amazing. He has the power to forgive sins. He possesses this kind of abnormal compassion for the undesirable, for sinners within the world. And not only does he possess compassion for them, but he goes out on a rescue mission for them. He seeks to save those that nobody cares about, that um, are undesirable within society, and he seeks to bring about their healing. His presence and, and, and His message are so significant and so weighty that the proper response is not somber impassivity, but rather celebration and joy, like a bride and a groom rejoice on their wedding day. He has the power and authority to determine how God's law should be used. And His compassion, it even reaches to his enemies, as seen in his anger mingled with grief over their hardness of heart. So this man, Jesus, that's being portrayed to us in the good news of, uh, of Jesus Christ, according to Mark, this man, Jesus, is so great. And there's no denying, there's absolutely no denying that this man is someone special. He's someone that's been sent by God, but yet not everybody thinks so. Not everyone within his sphere of influence thinks that he is someone great. They rather think the opposite. They question his power. They try to undermine his authority. They attempt to pervert his compassion and make it seem like something wicked and evil and vile. And in, in the text, as we march forward through it, you can just sense, you can just feel that tension is building, that tension is growing in the story. And bitterness in the heart of man toward this man, Jesus, is growing stronger and stronger, even though his identity becomes even more clear to the world. His power, authority, 
and compassion. And the more that power and authority and compassion is perceivable, the more you can see how magnificent his power, authority, and compassion really is, the more hatred, bitterness, and contempt is outwardly manifested toward him as we see within the story. We see in the story, uh, we're kind of, we're, we're skipping over uh, some, some of the text in, um, in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 3, just for time's sake. But we see in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 3 that even the demons cry out, you are the Son of God. I mean, the demons, the demonic, the demons get it. <laughs> And this is kind of akin to another incident in the gospel, which, which the most unlikely character uh, finally sees the reality. The most unlikely of characters finally gets it as well. A Roman soldier, the enemy. He declares as Jesus is hanging on the cross after he dies in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, truly this man was the Son of God. But his own family... And Mark chapter 3 was saying he's out of his mind. And even the most religious among them claimed that he's possessed. He's possessed by demons. He's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons does he cast out the demons in verse 22 of Mark chapter 3. So the most pious and respectable people of the day think that he's nothing but a fraud. They think that he's even, even worse than that. They think that they claim that he's on the side of Satan himself. So, his power, his authority, his compassion, it, it's evident for the world to see. You, you can see it. And it becomes even more evident as the narrative continues. But the heart of man is so callous that, that even when truth Truth itself is staring at them right in the face. They don't believe. They possess an evil heart of unbelief, showing who they really are, showing what they've really become. But even though this man Jesus, even though he faces fierce opposition from corrupted hearts and deceived spirits, he he continues to make known He continues to manifest his power, his authority, and his compassion by working to bring about the greatest blessing that the world has ever known and has ever seen. And this leads into another major section of Jesus' ministry that we're going to be talking about briefly tonight. I went a little over last week, so I'm going to try, I'm going to try, don't hold me to it, (laughs) I'm going to try to make up for it tonight. Uh, But uh, that leads us into uh, another section of Jesus' ministry uh, that we see beginning in Mark chapter 4, and that is the parables of Jesus. Uh, So let's briefly, first of all, ask, what are parables? Uh, We've probably heard Uh, that parables, they are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, with a spiritual meaning, and and that is is true. Uh, Jesus often he used elements that were familiar to, uh, to that were familiar to his original audience, like farming, fishing, uh, scenarios from everyday life. 
uh, think things in nature, illustrations uh, from, from, from animals uh, and, and, uh, and plants and things within nature to, to illustrate. He uses those elements that people can relate with, that people can understand to illustrate these powerful divine truths. Uh, so that's uh, what essentially parables are. What, what do parables teach? What do they teach us? What, what, what's, what's the intended goal that Jesus is trying to communicate through these parables? And that's basically how the kingdom of God operates, how it functions, how it works. That was Jesus' core message. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom of God it's here. It is at hand. It is coming into the world. And the parables teach us how that kingdom operates, how it functions. Uh, but I want to ask another question, and I think this is uh, very pertinent to um, the main message tonight. And I really only have one point, and... Uh, it's on the screen there. I kind of give away my points if you haven't uh, realized that. Uh, just read the screen, and that's what I'm trying to say if you're not following along with what, with what I'm saying. Uh, but but why, why would Jesus speak to them in, in parables? What's, what's, what's the point? Uh, what, what's the point of Jesus um, speaking in this way? Uh, what's the purpose of using a parable to teach divine truths, especially as we see Jesus using them in the way that he did. Uh, we read Matthew chapter 13, and, and, and we read Mark chapter 4 here, um, and, and it's, it's a necessary question to ask, I think. What, why does Jesus communicate truth in, these kind, in this kind of, of, of a way? Sure, um, there's, there, there's stories from everyday life that people can relate with, the parables, but oftentimes Jesus' Jesus's audience, they walked away from the parables scratching their heads and saying, what in the world does that mean? I, you know, I understand the elements within the story. I can understand the elements of farming and fishing and, and nature, etc. Et, et All of that's clearly perceivable. But oftentimes when Jesus taught in parables, the meaning, the, the intended meaning, the message was kind of vague and it was unclear. Notice with me in Mark chapter 4, verses 33 through 34. Mark chapter 4 verses 33 through 34. This lies at the end of uh, Mark's parabolic discourse. Um, Mark chapter 4, verses 33 through 34. It says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. So, after Jesus spoke to the masses, the crowds, in parables, he had to explain what they meant. He had to explain the intended meaning to them, and he did so privately to those who followed him. And we're going to read another text that talks about that in a moment. But this tells us that Jesus did not intend to clearly communicate meaning through parables. I mean... 
they had to ask him, what, he, what, what is this about? I understand the elements. I understand stories about fishing and farming and nature and all of this stuff that I can relate with in, in daily life, but I'm not getting your drift, Jesus. I'm not fully comprehending what you are trying to communicate to me. So what's going on? What's going on here in this text? Why does Jesus speak in parables that carry this intentional kind of vagueness? You know, it, it, seems, like, it seems like it would be much easier to just teach how the kingdom of God operates by simply telling them. Uh, we'll say this. This is how the kingdom of God works. It starts out. It's, it starts out really small, and then it, and then it, it grows and it multiplies and it gets big and it spreads to all um, every corner of the earth. You know, just as just as one example. Why didn't Jesus do it that way? Why didn't Jesus just come out and say, "This is how it works"? Let me. Sh- let me just going to tell you plainly. Why did Jesus? communicate truth in parables. What's going on here? Um, Notice what Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 4, verse 10. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 10 through 12. uh, And just me personally, I I think this reveals the genius of Jesus Christ in in, um, using parables. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 10. This is the New American Standard. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 10 through 12 as Jason read for us a moment ago. It says, and this is, this is uh, after the parable of the sower uh, that we'll read here in a moment. As soon as he was alone, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables so that while seeing they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So to his followers, to people that are surrounding him, uh, to, to those who see his power, those who comprehend his authority, those who perceive his compassion and are struck to the core by those things, by the person of Jesus Christ, those who see him for who he is and hunger and thirst for more of him, it's that group. It's they who have been given the meaning, the mystery of the kingdom of God as they humble themselves, as they, as they humble themselves and, and, and come to him to, for more understanding. The purpose of the parables here, it's, it's to bring grace. It's to bring grace to those who are receptive. To bring grace to those who are receptive. Those who humble themselves like a little child and say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, teach me, teach me, teach me what this means so I can understand, so I can know how your kingdom works, so I can know how your kingdom operates, so that I can fulfill the purpose that you have given to me. But at the same time, the purpose of parables, it's an act of judgment. 
that we see within this text and also in the text in Matthew. We're not going to read that tonight. It's an act of, of judgment against those who are hard-hearted, um, those who persist in unbelief, those who have no desire to ask, those who sh- display no care to seek or knock, that they may know this God, the God of the universe, the, those, who, those who see his power, those who see his authority and compassion, the compassion of Jesus and respond to him apathetically or ferociously which reveal their calloused and hard hearts. It's an act of judgment. The teaching of the parables are. So why does Jesus speak in parables in short? To bring grace and healing and understanding to those who are poor in spirit, who are meek and lowly, who mourn and come to Jesus for healing, for those who draw near to him, that, that, that hunger and thirst for righteousness so that they might be filled. But for those on the outside, those on the outside, and specifically, I think he's addressing his opponents here, uh, the scribes and, and, and the Pharisees, um, who, who can see, like everybody else, who can see his power and authority and compassion, but they attribute that to Satan instead of God. In Mark chapter 3, we see that story uh, prior to the teaching of the parables, Jesus' opponents uh, saying, saying, you see all these mighty works that he's doing? You see all this, all this, this healing and, and this teaching and stuff? Yeah, uh, he gets that power from Satan, um, pretty much what they were accusing him of. Um, to those who persist in this kind of unbelief and who have that kind of hardness of heart, everything is in parables. And this is an act of judgment against those who have this hard and impenitent heart. So what does this say to us? What does that say to us? What does it say to us today? And here's my main point. This, I've got one point, one point tonight, and here it is. How you receive the person of Jesus and his message will either lead to something spectacular and glorious for you, or it will lead you to total and unmitigated disaster. How you receive the person of Jesus and his message will either lead to something grand, something wonderful, something amazing, something spectacular and glorious, or it will lead you to complete and total ruin. In fact, that's what the first parable is about. Let's take a look at it together. The parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Look with me there in verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. As Jason read for us a moment ago, it says again, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and set in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, 
And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, as we see in this parable here, Jesus begins by grabbing their attention. He says, Listen, listen, listen. Now that I've been a parent, uh, I think I've said the word listen more times in the last two years uh, than I've said my entire life, and I'm sure that will continue. But Jesus says, if you have ears, if you have ears attached to your body, you should really hear this. You should really hear what I'm about to say, because what is about to come out of my mouth is extremely extremely important. I once heard of, of a man that uh, went into the military, and, and he said that his commanding officer uh, would, would often say to them to get their attention, are you tracking? Are, are, are you tracking? Are you tracking? Meaning, are you listening? Are you comprehending what, what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? Because what I'm telling you is very significant. And that's what Jesus wants them to understand by giving them this uh, introductory exhortation. Listen, listen to what I'm about to say because this is important. A sower, he says, a sower went out to sow. Now, here's one of those familiar elements that we talked about uh, that, that they would have been familiar with, farming, agriculture. And, uh, in, in fact, you know, many people in the crowd listening to Jesus uh, at this time probably would have been uh, a, a sower or a farmer and would have been used to having a, a, having a knapsack of seed where they would um, go out into their fields and, and scatter it, throw it um, everywhere uh, to... Um, to produce a crop. So this is something that, uh, that, that, that the crowd would be very familiar uh, with. Um, and, and, and it's an element that, that, to a degree, we ourselves uh, are familiar with, <coughs> accustomed to as well. You know, of course, the methods are different. Uh, we plow our fields, and we have, we have many different methods um, than, than they did, you know, but, but we still, when you go down Carthage Highway, you can still see corn fields and, and bean fields. I mean, you can still see fields where things are planted, uh, maybe a, a, a wheat field, um, uh, soybeans or, or, or whatnot. You know, some of us have gardens uh, that we plant and that we sow seed in, and it produces, uh, it produces a crop. However, what I think what we're not so accustomed to uh, in our 21st century context, in 21st century America, are the devastating effects of total and complete crop failure. 
If crops fail in some part of the world today, uh, you know, because of, a, because of a famine, because of pestilence, or some other factor, it probably isn't going to affect us very much in the Middle Tennessee area. Uh, Prices of food may go up a little bit, but if I had to guess, if there was crop failure somewhere in the world, um, I imagine that um, we would have something to eat. Uh, There would be something at Publix. There would be something at Kroger. There would be something at Walmart. So total crop failure is not something that we uh, stay awake uh, at night over and, and are fearful of. Um, and it, and, it, and it's, it's difficult uh, for, for us to perceive those kind of effects of um, when crops don't do what they're supposed to. But for Jesus' original audience, I believe the elements that he uses within this parable would have registered on a much deeper emotional level that they, than they would to us today. If crops failed in the first century world, then they really would be without uh, and experience a kind of existence that we're not accustomed to. Um, if, if sowers sowed seed in their fields and the birds came and devoured them, or if the ground was infertile because of rocks or thorns and and the seeds didn't produce like they were supposed to, then it would be a total disaster, a total disaster for everyone around because food would be in short supply. Of course, they had um, in uh, in that, around that area, they had uh, fishing industries, um, there would be food, but, um, but food would be, it wouldn't be as near as abundant. Uh, so, here's what Jesus is saying, I believe, uh, through this parable, and here's the significance for us. If the Word of God is sown in the soil of your heart, but that soil is, is uncultivated, it's rocky, it's thorny, if it's sown in a heart that has no real desire to understand the, 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 how the kingdom of God operates and this Jesus. It has no real intention of lasting endurance or, 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 or a heart that loves the world's riches more than the riches of Christ. Then that person will experience total crop failure. If you see the power, authority, and compassion of this man Jesus and his beautiful gospel, his beautiful message of saving grace, and don't allow that to take root in your life, if you do by your choice nothing with it, then it will lead to total unmitigated disaster. Listen. Listen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that sounds tough. It kind of makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? I know it does me. But it reveals how much Christ loves you for him to tell you that. 
He doesn't want you to go down that road. He doesn't want you to go down that path. He wants you to thrive in a relationship with Him. He wants the seed to fall on good soil within your heart and for you to produce a crop. Now, let's look at the other side of this meaning. That's the negative side. Verse 8, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. I, I think we often miss how incredible this is. Um, the, uh, the, the, the seed that falls on good soil, as, as Jesus says, it produces 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Um, that, that means, what that means is that this seed, when it's sown into good soil, it produces 30, 60, and 100 times as much has, as has been planted. Um, I, was, I was doing some, uh, when I was researching this lesson and, and looking, um, looking at different commentaries, what, 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 I, what I saw is that the, the average yield for seed production is about tenfold um, in, this, in this area of the world. Uh, so these, these numbers, um, not miraculous uh, per se, but, but they're incredible. This would be an incredible crop yield, um, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. It would have been well above average if crops produced uh, this way. So, here's, I think, what Jesus is trying to say to us through this parable. If the Word of God is sown in the soil of your heart, and that soil is good, and it's fertile because of your own choice. If it's sown in a heart that's soft and tender and truly wants to draw near to Jesus and learn from Him and grow in Him and know Him more fully, then that person will experience an incredible yield, an incredible production. If you see the power the authority and the compassion of this man, Jesus, and his beautiful message of saving grace, and you, by your own choice, allow that to take root in your life and humble yourself, then it will yield, it will lead you to something unimaginably wonderful. The parable of the sower, I think, not I think, I know, the text says this, the parable of the sower is the key to understanding and growing in all of these other parables that we're going to talk about in this series. In Mark chapter 4, verse 13, it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable, this parable of the sower? How then will you understand all of the parables? You'll only be able to see these parables as a spring of life that brings peace and healing if the soil of your heart is right, if it's good, if it's humble and receptive to the Word. And when the soil of your heart is right, when you humble yourself and sit at the feet of this Jesus and look to Him, His power, His authority, and His compassion, and you say to Him, Lord, teach me. Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me to be 
like you, then a crop will be produced in you that's 30-fold, 60-fold, a hundred times more than what was planted. So the question tonight is this. How will you receive this Jesus? What is the soil of your heart like? How are you receiving him now? Some of the most important questions that you can ask yourself. Because how you receive the person of Jesus and his message will do one of two things. It will lead to something spectacular and glorious for you. Or it will lead to total disaster for you. That's the message for tonight. It's a message of grace. It's a message that pricks the heart and pierces the soul. If anyone needs to come forward tonight, if anyone has anything in their life uh, that they are facing and needs prayers, uh, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Uh, If there's anyone tonight uh, that uh, hasn't obeyed this gospel, um, that uh, is still in your sins, we urge you tonight um, to... Um, Believe in the Lord Jesus to repent of your sins, uh, to make the soil of your heart right tonight. You can do that tonight. Don't wait. You can come forward and confess your faith in him and be immersed (coughs) in in the waters of baptism and begin a relationship with him. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?